Are you ready for the end of life as we know it? Books, films, video games, TV programs, they've been gearing us up for the decimation of the human race for decades, but the truth is often scarier than fiction. With The Last of Us providing the latest glimpse of what a post-apocalyptic future might look like, I'm taking you back to a dark time in our own history to see how disease has already shaped our lives. And in case you're worried, yes, I will also be asking an expert if we really could be wiped out by a rampaging fungus. I'm Laura Grant, and from the University of Aberdeen, welcome to Into the Headlines. Episode 3. Strange Sickness. Today I'm joined by Research Fellow Dr. William Hepburn and Senior Lecturer Dr. Jackson Armstrong, both of the School of Divinity, History, Philosophy and Art History at the University of Aberdeen, and Dr. Delma Childers, Lecturer at the School of Medicine, Medical Sciences and Nutrition and expert in researching how fungi adapt to their hosts and cause infections. Welcome all. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. William and Jackson, you're historians, but you can also list gaming developer on your CVs because after many years immersed in the Aberdeen City Archives, one particular period inspired you to come up with a really innovative way of bringing our local history to life. Tell me about it. Well, we've been working uh, in one way or another with Aberdeen's fabulous City Archives for uh, a decade now and a series of grants and projects investigating those records and all their richness for what they tell us about everyday life, about law, about Scotland and its place in the wider world, and uh, some really rich stories uh, and themes coming through in those records, which uh, we were excited to explore ways to make available to really wide audiences beyond uh, those who are interested academically in the uh, material. Uh, William joined the project in um, 2016 and came in with um, lots of ideas around the potential for exploring game development um, and things progress from there. Yeah, so um, uh, on, on those projects, we, we sought to um, find ways of engaging the public with our research and, and we were kind of often having conversations about different ways to do that. And one of the things I wanted to do was experiment with games. So I did an event that was kind of based around a game for the audience. And that led to us thinking, what more can we do in this in this way? Um, and we, we got some funding for a short fellowship I did about exploring um, the potential of video games as a as a medium for for sharing this um th- these parts of, of of history and these historical sources and um that ultimately led on to Jackson and I um forming a company and and running a crowdfunding campaign to um raise money for a game called Strange Sickness which was um based on some of the records within Aberdeen's um, medieval collections that uh, tell us about occasions when um towards the end of the 15th century into the early 16th century when the council in Aberdeen was concerned that a uh, plague was going to come to the city and and um be a great danger and and the, the measures they took to to address that and so we made a game um about that and um yeah that's what been a large part of uh, what we've been doing for the last 2 3 years what what does the game actually involve what do what's the kind of the nature of it what do players do so in the game, you play a young uh, counsellor. 
the more senior councillors are not taking the issue of plague seriously and he he at first needs to highlight why this is such a danger and then from there once they kind of accept that you have to go and um, find out about different ways of dealing with it all which is drawn from ev historical evidence um, but the, in terms of the game what you're doing basically is you're talking to people it's mainly a text driven game with um, we have art giving you the, the feel of being in the in the city um, in that period but um, it's mainly text driven and you're talking to people you're walking around the town you're going to different locations you're trying to come up with methods of fighting the plague in different few different scenarios that you end up in and you are collecting evidence to kind of back up those scenarios and then you're going to the you're going before the council and you're presenting your case basically so it's almost like a um it's an investigation um but rather than investigating a murder you're investigating how to how to fight this deadly disease can i uh, comment as well about the fact that william and i are historians um and one of the tremendously enriching elements of this whole process was collaborating with with others. Catherine Neal, the game designer, we were so pleased to, to have her come on board in the Strange Sickness Project and Elena Bell, our illustrator. Uh, and it was uh, wonderful to, to have that uh, richness of, of experience and, and expertise to, to lead us into the places where, you know, it was it was all new to us. Tremendous learning curve as, as historians uh, in terms of what um, what game development involves. And we, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be here without everything that, that Catherine and Alana brought to the the project as well. The illustrations are great, and they they really do kind of you know add a, a whole different element to it. On the surface, it, it doesn't seem like a natural premise for a game, um, but what kind of feedback are you getting from people? Is it is it fun to play? Yeah, we hope so. We hope so. I mean, um, it's it's probably going to appeal to a particular type of. Um, game player like it's not going to give you the kind of uh dopamine you know hit of shooting aliens with virtual guns or, or something like that but it's it's a bit more like i i like to think of it as it's enjoyable to play in the sense that it's enjoyable to sit down with a book and a cup of tea um on a quiet afternoon and and play through it in that way i think because it is you know it's a lot of reading involved in it and it's that that kind of game so not it's not going to be for everyone but um I think there is an appeal to it. People, people are interested in the the sort of specificity of the historical setting of it and the fact that we are drawing on um, our work on actual historical records that that we're bringing into the game. Um, so I think that is appealing for a lot of people. And just the kind of, the I guess, the, the quirkiness of that as a premise is, you know, games have increasingly over the last couple of decades uh, branched into more kind of personal or more specific kind of themes as as the tools for game development have become um, more accessible to more people and and so individuals for instance can make games but whatever they want um, whereas you know the big budget games obviously have to have a kind of um, mass appeal to a, a, a kind of broad common denominator you know so I think that the people that are interested in those kinds of games those more indie games I suppose um, are, are likely to be the people that are going to um, be interested in our game. And just to add the extent to which a huge aspect that I, I hope is there for those who are enjoying the game is uh, those who are interested in in understanding uh, Scottish 
records which have UNESCO designation and and using this game as a way into understanding those records of the past in in uh, you know perhaps an un- unexpected way. So whether those are people in Aberdeen exploring aspects of their own civic heritage uh, or people from from around the world who are coming to it through an interest in narrative games or or uh, indie games or historical games, it's uh, I think uh, really exciting to be able to bring these important historical records forward into the the, the matter of the game itself. Well, so the game, the, the way it's set up seems to lend itself quite nicely to translating into real life, like walking tours or, or doing even, um, you know, like the clued up events in Aberdeen where people walk around the town and, and act like CSI, you know, try to investigate things in real time. Have you thought about spreading the game out into that kind of a, a scenario to a more historical walking tour, touristy type game? Hundred percent. Yeah, we. I mean, like even before we sort of did the games thing, I was often thinking of public engagement more generally, thinking along those lines. And you know, there's a lot of interesting things being done with games, sort of in in real world settings. And you know, we've we've been talking to people um, about potential projects to to do things like that in maybe in connection with you know exhibitions at Aberdeen art galleries and museums in a way of. You know, bringing the exhibition out into the streets of the of the city and so on, and, and linking it back, and and yeah, having some kind of investigative narrative of some kind, perhaps, or or maybe kind of vignettes, little stories at each of the locations that people could engage in interactions with characters, either that are from Strange Sickness or or new characters we'd develop for that. But yeah, we we we're kind of um in a sense like since doing this, we've kind of been open to a vast array of potential future directions with game development this is definitely one of them that that we have looked at but we're also keen to kind of also make maybe more games that are of a more sort of traditional nature like you know that you just play on your computer but um yeah we're kind of open to everything and maybe that's our weakness sometimes <laughs> we, we need to focus on one thing rather than 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 everything but um but yeah no absolutely it's a really good point and it's great to hear that um that's something you know you're interested in have have done things like that and um, it's useful feedback for us but we but, i mean we're also kind of i mean more broadly just interested in the potential of games not just even in our historical research or in history generally but as as tools for um, academics to use more more broadly either as public engagement or even just uh, the what academics can contribute to that industry you know i think in terms of um the 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 knowledge and, and subjects and richness that they can bring to the to the worlds and you know themes of games Strange Sickness was nominated for a Scottish BAFTA and a Scottish Games Award at the tail end of last year why do you think it's been such a hit? What is it about this period in our history that appeals to us? I think plague is 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 kind of we chose it that from amongst the the many themes covered in the records because it is there's a moment of quite dramatic crisis, I suppose. Whereas a lot of the stuff we deal with is very interesting, but it's more everyday activities. You know, people um, buying and selling things and so on. So that stood out to us, and, and we think that is part of the appeal. You know, it's one of, and it's one of the things, one of the kind of hooks of the Middle Ages, I suppose. If people know anything about what happened in the medieval period, they're likely to to know something about plague. But yeah, in terms of the appeal, why why did it get nominated for BAFTA? Um, I don't know. I think I think it did it did stand out the idea that um, this was a game that kind of was rooted, it was led by historians rather than. The other way around, it started with historians. We went out and found people that with game development skills that could help us. And I think that kind of story of the game's creation was in itself quite appealing. Like, I think I, I think there's some people that are like as much interested in that 
story as they are in actually playing the game, you know, um, like the, uh, and kind of supporting this. Um, yeah, just just this sort of interesting combination of disciplines, I suppose. I think that was part of the appeal. Just to add to that, how exciting it was to have those recognitions and so surreal, um, uh, you know, uh, tremendous honor. And um, I think it also speaks perhaps to the 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 really exciting state of the games industry in in Scotland today. And you know, it's opportunity uh, to showcase some of the the diversity that is coming forward in terms of the topics and materials and the and the people who are becoming involved in making games in Scotland. And it was really nice to to have um, some uh, moments to to become involved in that. You mentioned that it was about um, touching on the the real stories from this period in history. What were some of the measures that were brought in during the plague? How did people's daily lives change? Yeah, so a lot of the um, a lot of the measures were actually strikingly similar to what we've some of what we've gone through over the last um, few years with with COVID. Although this game actually the genesis of this game was before COVID, and um, then just when when the pandemic started, it kind of took on a new. Um, Resonance, I suppose, within that context, and a lot of the things that people did, such as so there was a restriction of movement over the region. You know, Aberdeen kind of had a has a quite a wide hinterland over the northeast that that it was kind of the point at which people were to bring their goods to sell them in there. So there's talk about measures saying within a certain kind of border um, in the countryside around Aberdeen, people people had to you know couldn't move outside of that without being checked. Basically, there was checks at the city gates. You know, when guards told to you know, check people coming in and there weren't infected people. People that were suspected of having infections were quarantined, you know, like locked down in their in their homes basically for a certain number of days, you know, and measures about people having to bring them food and basically, leave, you know, leave it for them and, and, and they had to be shut away. There was even time when a part of the, the, the town was locked down um, and actually quite Interestingly, there's a there's a there's a sort of gap in in the records for this period, as if like you know the administration wasn't basically able to operate in a normal way because they'd kind of shut down um, that area um, of the town. So you know, and there's there's loads more of that, and it was just very resonant for what we were going through. And and um, I mean, the, the plague was, of course, a very different disease, much more deadly than than COVID nineteen. But um, in terms of some of the you know the effects on society and just like the the way that you see this, the way that this um, manifests, I suppose you don't you can't you can't see this disease, but you can you see all the ways in which we respond to it. You know, you see the the quiet streets and the um, you know people being scared of going too close to other people and um, that kind of thing. We were all dealing with in terms of how do we operate as a society while we're trying to maintain social distance and all these things. So yeah, different in many ways, but also strikingly um, kind of resonant of of what we were experiencing at that time. Fear must have been rampant across the community. And that sort of degradation of societal norms is something that we see portrayed quite a lot in, in books and programmes of this ilk. How did fear influence how people were living? Yeah, so this this is a really interesting question. And and one, I think, where we had to a bit more draw in sort of, I suppose, our imagination in the sense that the records they don't necessarily address those kind of personal accounts of people's feelings about things. You can you can see the fear in it just because of the the intensity and the detail of the kind of legislative kind of measures they're taking to try and deal with this. That in itself is an expression of fear. But in terms of understanding the personal 
the emotion behind that. Um, it, it was up to the imagination a little bit, and I suppose like, but it helped that we were feeling similar fears at that time and just a sense of, you know, you're in your house, um, this kind of invisible threat, you know, it can be everywhere um, or, or um, and, and you don't know where. And must have been even more scary at, at, at this time with a, a more deadly disease. And in terms of information, you know, they're very different information environment. You know, we could all watch the news or check our, the news on our phones to see what was going on here. You know, you'd have had to depend on on news that people messages people were bringing from other places and and you know maybe a much more um difficult to get information in some ways from the wider world i think you can imagine we, we don't necessarily see that explicitly in the records but you could certainly imagine it there in the background of, of all this local government measures being taken to to combat the disease if i could um just add is one of the things that um that struck us as the game came together was the extent to which it was a game in dealing with fear. It's a game about town government uh, and governmental responses to, to, to social threat and fear. And uh, as William sometimes uh, expresses it uh, in terms of inspirations for the game, on the one hand, there was Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Mask of the Red Death, but thinking in uh, 2020 of the, the viral video of the Hanforth Parish Council. And so thinking about the ways in which we could explore some of the themes in local government in a in a playful and irreverent way, handling quite a quite a serious uh, topic, but uh, doing so in in a way that's exploring you know how do we govern ourselves and what are the choices that that our, our leaders are in um, a position to have to make. And and yeah, just to to to, to expand on that, like the the ultimate not to spoil the story of the game but kind of the ultimate sort of the journey that the the young counselor that you play in the game goes on is kind of initially his ambitions are to go out into the wider world and you know escape his hometown and go and do bigger things as, as a lot of you know as it often is for people um in their sort of early 20s but um he comes to realize that the the, the changes he can affect in the world through kind of local government are actually uh, very important and, and there's a lot he can do there and that's kind of like you know while we were we were kind of like there's a funny side to to local government as the the Hanforth Parish Council video shows but also we wanted to kind of highlight that you know that we should be paying attention to what happens at this level you know the Aberdeen records are a um, you know hugely valuable source of history and and you know that this is where a lot of important things happened rather than just in the king's you know castles and so on. Speaking of paying attention to things, the plague is um, one of the deadliest diseases in human history. Bacterial infections and viruses like smallpox and Ebola have long been a cause of fear in society. But one of the things we've been less afraid of to date is fungus. With The Last of Us turning the finger of suspicion towards fungal infections and the potential damage they can cause, the question really has to be, should we be paying them more attention than we have been? Delma, you're a medical mycologist. Tell us, how bad can fungal diseases be? So I've, I've got a clear conflict of interest here in that, uh, of course, we should be paying more attention to these things. Um, but scientifically speaking, it's different as fungi are from viruses or bacteria. They can be just as good for us or just as bad for us as anything else. Um, what's been really great is that recently we've started to see more uptick in recognizing fungi, not just through something like The Last of Us, which is fantastic in terms of talking about serious fungal infections, 
Um, but last year, the WHO, so World Health Organization, finally published a list of priority fungal pathogens. So we can think of this like the most wanted list, the 19 fungi that really need a critical response soon in terms of research and investment. And my career has been spent working on two of these. So it's it's really good to see this uptick in, in response to how severe fungal infections can be. How do they generally spread? Is it similar to viruses and bacteria or do they require something different? Uh, the vast majority are very different. So most of us are born with fungi already in our system, just like we already have bacteria in our system. So the two fungi I work on are Canada albicans and Canada glabrata. Uh, these are in our mouths, they're in our guts. And for most of us, they don't cause a problem for, for the majority of our lives. It's when we become really sick, when we're in hospital a long time, that they start to rear their heads and, and cause some major infection um, and life-threatening disease. But then we've also got environmental fungi. There, there's fungi in soil, there's fungi in the air. You're breathing in spores every day. So for most of these fungi, the same rules apply. If you're not uh, otherwise unhealthy, if, if you have no underlying health conditions, you don't usually have much to worry about with a few exceptions. Um, but we do have some new fungi hitting hitting the scene, which do seem to transmit through hospital settings. So they can transmit on coats and trolleys and things like that. But they're they're the exception rather than the rule usually. Okay. How old are fungi? <laughs> this is a fun question because the fossil evidence for this is terrible. Uh, fungi don't make great fossils, but we think that there's evidence of fungi in plant fossil records from about 500 million years ago. Uh, and there's a fantastic theory about fungi potentially being one of the things that contributed to the wiping out of the dinosaurs after the asteroid impact. You're going to have to tell me more. Of course. I'm happy to elaborate on that <laughs> one. Briefly, so tell me more. <laughs> I'm not saying I buy this idea, but the idea goes like this. The asteroid hits, it kicks up a ton of dust into the atmosphere, and this is going to block sunlight from plants plants start to die or start to become susceptible to fungal infection. And so you have this fungal bloom that then causes massive mayhem in terms of the number of spores that dinosaurs are breathing in and causing them to keel over. That's the idea in a nutshell, although Arturo Casadeval might correct me later. It sounds like a potential game to tackle next. <laughs> sounds exciting. Let's talk. <laughs> um, Delma, do you think fungi get the respect that they're due compared to, I'm going to describe them as the more flashy viruses out there, the more attention-grabbing viruses? Um, in terms of being an infectious agent, no, I don't think they, they get the respect that they deserve. So fungi cause more infections per year than malaria. Um, if I talk to, to my nieces, they'll know what malaria is, but they, they won't really know much about fungal infection. And we get you know maybe a penny for, for every dollar that's spent on research in, ter in terms of um, fungal diseases or in terms of infectious diseases, rather. Sorry, for fungi, we get a penny out of every dollar. Which is clearly not nearly enough, considering how many are out there. Clearly not nearly enough, but it's also a more modern problem. This is a problem of our own making, um, in a way, because what's happening is we've got folks that are going on to cancer chemotherapy and other treatments um, that are extending their lives fantastically, but now it's not necessarily the cancer that's killing them, it's, it's the fungal disease that they're having now. The fungus in the game and the program was initially transmitted through food. Is that common? Uh, no, it's not very common. So Centers for Disease Control have a nice study on this where they looked at food and food supplements. 
And it's very rare. They found maybe a handful of cases where this was suspected. And the folks that suffered most were those who had underlying health conditions. And so um, it's not very common. What's more common and historically quite relevant is um, food contaminated by by fungal chemicals, so fungal metabolites. So things like ergot, which is produced by a fungus called claviceps, um, can cause psychosis and hallucinations. And it was thought to be one of the things that might have started the Salem witch trials. But it's a theory only. It's a theory only. There's no proof that this is what happened. I suppose the big money question is, is it possible that a scenario like The Last of Us, where a vast swathe of the population is infected so rapidly, could ever happen? Well, I guess if we go with Arturo's idea about uh, post-asteroid fungal bloom killing dinosaurs, that might be a a way to to quickly cause a a severe fungal disease. Um, But currently, the odds are quite slim to see something really go around the world as fast as what you see in The Last of Us. And you think back to COVID-19, that had a couple of months, really, in terms of the setup before it really became a a major problem with lockdown seen around the world. Fungi are evolving, though. Are they getting more dangerous? It's a balance here. So part of it is we're becoming more susceptible to fungal diseases by by prolonging our lifespan through medical treatment, um, which is fantastic for, for life. But we also have to think about quality of life and susceptibility to fungi. So I wouldn't say that those fungi causing disease are more dangerous, but there are fungi that are starting to cause disease that we hadn't described 20 years ago that are thought to possibly be causing disease because they've learned to grow at our body temperature. So the vast majority, over 90% of fungi, can't survive at our body temperature. But we're starting to see more fungi surviving these high temperatures. And there's a thought that that might be due to climate change, teaching fungi to tolerate higher temperatures. Okay, that seems like a a suitable mic drop moment for us to end on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, all of you, for sharing your thoughts with me. Thank you. Thank you. We've enjoyed making making this game, and we, and we want to make more. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to do a, a fungal or infectious disease game, just hit us up over over in the IMS. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds sounds like we need a coffee. You need to get you some funding. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all, um, and thanks also to you out there for listening. Um, all being well, I will be back soon with another look at the stories behind the headlines. But if you just can't wait, you know what to do. Visit abdn.ac.uk slash news to find all the latest updates from the University of Aberdeen. This podcast was brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.